that if you're in the Portsmouth area, we do have a live studio audience for our show. So if you can make it on over to 909 Islington Street in the next 25 minutes or so, we'd love to have you come experience in person the true tales told by these wonderful storytellers this evening. If you're a regular listener to True Tales Radio, you know that before the storytelling gets underway at 6.35, you're going to hear me interview two of tonight's storytellers. You have let us know that you enjoy it when we provide a glimpse of the story behind the storyteller. Tonight, I have the privilege of interviewing storytellers Sharon Jones Jenkins and Al Portia. And the first storyteller you're going to get to meet is Sharon Jones Jenkins. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you. Or we should say welcome back to... Listeners to WSCA should be familiar with your voice. I remember the days. They're wonderful. Right. And you hosted the show you hosted here? I hosted Singers Past and Present. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And tonight you're back as a storyteller on True Tales Radio. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) And we do have, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about your background, how you got into storytelling. But we have a special guest on the line tonight. Will you tell us a little bit about him? Well, that's a Bill Elwell, and Bill, uh, Mr. Elwell, we called him back during that time, of course, we had to. Now he is Bill, and he's my friend. Uh, Bill was the music director, the choir, and the music director, along with William Muchmore at the Portsmouth High School during the time that I spent there, my four years. And he uh, wrote all of the scores for the big show that, ended the season for uh, the Portsmouth High School. I can't remember exactly what month that took place. It's probably toward the end of the the year. And they would uh, write uh, beautiful charts for um, very talented uh, performers that would uh, display their talent during that that time, and and the music was just wonderful. It was they paid a lot of attention. Made us feel like stars uh, with the music that they wrote for us. That's great. Well, let's bring Bill into our interview now. Good evening, Bill. Yes. How are you? Good. I am fine, and this is working. So I'm I'm impressed. Um, <laughs> now. Bill, Sharon said you played a, a very instrumental, if I can use a musical yes, term, sure. role in her, in her life. And can you tell us a little bit about, um, yeah, tell us a little well, bit about Sharon that. Sharon comes from, from a really musical family, probably the most musical I can remember in Portsmouth. Um, I had her, uh, she was one of the first ones, the Jones kids that I had, and then there were a couple of others after her. But her older brothers also were great musicians. And we found Sharon uh, when we were working out uh, our number of people for our shows. And she mentioned Warren Matchmore. He's the guy that wrote all the arrangements. And he wrote some great things for Sharon. And, um, and we talked about it the other day, he and I. And the one thing that Sharon had that most teenagers didn't have was a, was a real sense of style and an understanding of phrasing, and she could do that so well. And he wrote some things for her that were just outstanding. And Sharon, it was in February that show was. Oh, it took place in February. Okay. See, when you're 85, you remember those things. When you're as young as you are, you don't remember them. Yeah, they slip away. (laughs) (laughs) Those were great times, Bill. I'm so honored uh, and was at the time to have uh, taken part in those those shows. They were just superb, 
Right. And Sharon, you said that Bill helped um, encourage you towards your singing career? Toward my singing career. Believe it or not, I was very shy and, and, and sort of an introvert. And, it, it, and I tell people that today, and they say, yeah, right, you know, really. But I really was, and they had to coax me into doing just about everything. They talked me into it. And I would be uh, a nervous wreck before walking out on the stage. But as soon as the first <laughs> note played, I just came out of that, whatever it was. And it Well, was I was conducting the pit band that Warren wrote the arrangements for. And she didn't look nervous to me when she came on stage. She really took over <laughs> and with that style. And that style for a teenager was way ahead of her, herself. She She really could sell a ballad and... It was just wonderful, and Warren wrote us such a great thing. And um, she'll tell you that, what was the name of the tune, Sharon? The last one you did, "Just the Way You Look Tonight." And it, I, I can remember her just singing that thing, and the audience was mesmerized behind me. I, of course, I couldn't see them because I was working with the band, but she just did such a wonderful job on that tune. And I don't know if she knows it, but Warren still has an arrangement of it. It's, in the book. <laughs> See, I would like to do that, just for old time's sake. We'll invite a yeah. bunch of people or rent the Portsmouth Music Hall and bring, you, bring the band. Or you can do it right here at the station as a fundraiser. We could. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great thing. We could. Uh, yeah, and Bill, you know, when you had Sharon as a student back at Portsmouth High School, um, you said she had a sense of style. What else did you see in her that made you think that, yeah, I didn't really understand what you said the last part. What what did you what qualities did you see in Sharon that made you think, yes, she can be she can go on to a career in singing, you know? Well, Sharon was interesting because she was always well organized, always prepared, and believe it or not, as she says, shy and quiet. But when you gave her a task or gave her a tune to sing, she could sell it and she could bring it and then and I, of course, I've seen her so many times since she left high school, and I don't get out much anymore, so I don't get to see her. But I've been places where she has been singing, and I just recognize it so much and the sound of her voice and just the way she sings so well. As a matter of fact, my family gets upset with me, but at 86 years old, uh, my shelf life, has getting shorter, and I've already asked Sharon if she would sing at my memorial service. You did. You certainly did. And that's in a, uh, and that's because I just love her style, and I love the way she approached his music. And she, she had that for me right from the start. When when she was singing in the choir, she didn't overpower anything. She just blended very well with the the rest of the guys and girls, and it was just a, a nice experience for me. Right. And me, and I thank you over and over again. It's, it's, <laughs> it's such a pleasure to, to be talking with you uh, again at this time during this interview, and thank you for, for agreeing to be a part of it. Right, yeah. Bill, do you have, um, over the years, is there one of Sharon's songs that are, like, one of your favorites? The one that, she's, that we talked about that right. she just mentioned, that just the way you look. The last tonight. one she did when she was a senior, and that was just that just knocked everybody out. She was way ahead of her 
her, her stylistic approach for a high school senior. And I'm so happy she's had such a good career and she's loved her music. Yes, I do love it. And I still do it. And I'll do it until they tell me not to come anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much, uh, Bill. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, yes. thank you, Bill, for joining us. Um, yeah, and you can stay on the line while we ask Sharon a few more questions. Yes, I'd uh, love to do that. Yeah, and um, Sharon, it's sort of, you know, we've told people tonight you are a Portsmouth native. Um, how did growing up in Portsmouth and living in Portsmouth kind of shape your career and shape the Sharon Jones story? I don't know if Portsmouth shaped it a whole lot. <laughs> didn't, it didn't get in the way? <laughs> uh, I did uh, end up leaving uh, Portsmouth a couple of times. Uh, you know, I traveled quite a bit. I started traveling when I was very young with, with different jazz musicians. So I didn't stick around Portsmouth. And But I'm certainly not... Um, dismayed or ashamed of, of, of being born and raised in Portsmouth. We had our difficulties. Everybody did at the time. It was uh, trying at times by being uh, one of the few uh, people of color in the, in the area, and there were problems back then. Um, sometimes we don't like to face up and be or fess up and be honest about that, but there were a lot of problems. And my music... Uh, uh, helped me to get through a lot of that. Good, and good. I was always able to, to have a little uh, entourage following me around. And, uh, and I still have. Some of them are in the studio right now. They're yeah. hanging out with me. And, and it's a wonderful feeling. It's, it's always been good for me in that area. I've always uh, gelled with people. They've been... Um, They've always wanted to be in the midst of my company as well, and that helps everyone who's in this business. Right, right. Yeah. Now, you know, you're a singer, and tonight yes. you're going to be a storyteller with words, no music. Um, how does story- telling a story with music and lyrics differ from telling a story with just words? It's a lot more frightening, I will say that. Uh, you, you have to be uh, more accurate. Um, I think when you're telling a story, when you're singing, there are other things going on, and if if, if something goes uh, astray, you can bring it back in quickly because there are instruments that cover you and so on. But when you're telling a story, uh, you have to tell it, and you have to dig in and make sure it works for you. I don't believe in... in, um, I've never believed in rehearsing over and over and over again. I think when you do that, you start losing the confidence that you have. I think you have to hit hit dead on and just go with whatever comes to you. And and if you if you're honest about that and you look comfortable out there, the people who are in the house to or the audience to to see you perform or tell a story uh, they're going to be comfortable as well. And when you're not comfortable, the audience is not comfortable. Right. Yeah. And you, as you know, we talked about a little bit, you grew up in a musical family. I did. You also grew up with one of 13 children. children. Was correct. storytelling a big, was storytelling as much a part of your life growing up as say music was? Or I believe storytelling was. My father was a great storyteller. And uh, uh, my mother played classical piano, and my father played bass and trombone, and most of my siblings sang. And 
after Sunday dinner, we would gather around the piano and we'd have a jam session. And before we knew it, the house would be full of neighbors bringing mm-hmm. their instruments. And that's how we grew up. Um, um, storytelling, I think everybody tells stories. They don't sometimes realize that they're telling a story. But everybody every day at some point tells us a good story. Right, and I imagine with 11 older siblings, you had to learn how to tell a good story quickly to cover your tracks or maybe a little mischief. I did. You know, (laughs) other people have said that. But you see, in my family, being from a family of 13, I I was number 12. And so the others were very much older than I, a lot of years older. My oldest sister was probably 18 years older than I was. So we were kind of pampered and babied. My, my sister Karen and I were the last two to be born. And um, we, didn't, um, we didn't have to make sure we got out of people's way because everyone else was, was parenting us along with my mother and father. Right, right, yeah. And in, you know, in a number of interviews, you've in the past, you've cited you know, a number of artists that have been musical influences for you. Is there one artist you particularly admire or look to for their ability to, to really tell a story with their music? You know, I, I really like Shirley Bassey. Shirley Bassey, of course, did, did most of the, the song uh, that titled all of the James Bond movies, mm-hmm. Goldfinger, and, and there were many, many others, Diamonds Are Forever. And, she, and the, of course, the other spectrum would be Aretha Franklin and then uh, Sarah Vaughan because they all had a different style, and that's what you do. You take a little bit of uh, uh, everyone's style and you, you create your own by what you took from these other entertainers and just enough to create your own style. Right, right, great. Well, um, you know, we thank you for being here with us tonight. Um, any last parting words you'd like to leave before you tell your story? Your, it, the theme tonight is dreams, and you have dreams. a story. Yep. And I have a story to go with that. I don't have anything to say. Lastly, I just uh, want to thank you for inviting me to be oh. part of the interview and all of the folks that are out there waiting for all of these wonderful storytellers. I'm yep, looking, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm one of the people that used to listen to you Saturday afternoon. Doing, I timed the errand, so I always caught your show. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So. I'd love to come back and do it again one day. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're going to have you come back to do the song for the fundraiser, so we've already penciled that okay. in. <laughs> I'll be here. Thank well, you. We've got a recording, so. Okay, well, All thank right. you, Sharon, and um, we're just now going to switch some seats here. Absolutely. Thank you, John. Thank you. And up next, we're going to interview another of our storytellers tonight, and he is Al Portia. Welcome, Al. Al is settling into the chair. Thank you. Good to be here. Oh, thank you for agreeing to be interviewed. Yeah, and, you know, why don't you, if you don't mind, tell our listeners, kind of give them the thumbnail sketch of who Al Portia is. The thumbnail sketch. Uh Born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but have lived here in New Hampshire now for the last 31 years. And uh, I actually, uh, one of the seminal events in my life was uh, my family went through some serious financial difficulties when I was a freshman in college and went bankrupt. And uh, I had to drop out of college, and I was drafted, therefore, because I lost my student deferment. And uh, some of the stories that I like to tell are 
often about some of the adventures, misadventures I had uh, in my time in the military. But uh, eventually I was able to straighten my head out after being a combat veteran for a year in Vietnam and went back to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and got a degree in psychology and met my wife. We've been married 38 years. We have two children, two beautiful grandchildren. And uh, I opened a French restaurant and that was uh, to avoid writing the PhD. It would have been easier, I think, to do the PhD. But uh, that was a lot of fun. But when our second child came along, it was obvious that if I wanted to have a family, I couldn't have a French restaurant. So that was an easy choice. So I let my partner, who was probably a true workaholic, buy me out. And uh, that's when my wife and I decided we'd like to raise our family in a more rural environment. And so we moved up here to New Hampshire. And uh, my wife got a position at the university. And so I went from serving rack of lamb in my elegant French restaurant to house-sitting a farm on uh, Wichtrot Road in South Berwick and with my three-year-old daughter and six-month-old son delivering lambs in a blizzard. So it was a great way to break into living in New England. Uh, but eventually I was able to uh, get my own career underway, and I spent 17 years at the Granite State College, it's called now. It used to be the College for Lifelong Learning. And I was an advisor there, and I was teaching and uh, I didn't have the master's because I never completed it when I was doing the, uh, the doctoral program. And they said, you're supposed to have a master's. I said, well, you hired me. <laughs> so I went to the University of New Hampshire and got the MED in counseling just so I could keep working at Granite State where I was also able to teach, which is really a passion of right. mine. And uh, so that particular master's program, you had to do an internship. And most of the people were going to be school counselors, and I had no interest in that. So I found this place called the Vet Center in Manchester, New Hampshire, that was counseling combat veterans uh, from all of our many right. wars. And so I did two internships there and then continued at Granite State. And after 17 years, I was looking for a change and I gave my notice. And two weeks into my four weeks notice, the Vet Center called me and said there was an opening. So I had yet another career at that point in my life, my last 10 years counseling uh, combat right. veterans, which was very challenging, very rewarding work. Right, right. Yeah. And, you, you know, you did mention that um, many of the stories you tell um, deal with your time in the U.S. Army and in Vietnam. Um, was it hard to start telling those war stories? I, I, it's never been hard for me. Yeah. I've never done it publicly as I have now here for the second time tonight. But I always thought it was important to share those events with the uh, people that uh, were close to me, that were my friends and family, to give people a sense of exactly what are the consequences of sending our young men and women off to war? So I always So you've always been a storytelling a storyteller, but telling the stories publicly is is rather right. new to I, you? Right. I didn't think of myself in terms of a storyteller, but I guess uh, I was and uh, I did enjoy being able to spin those tales and have people respond to them. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned that you've um sp have spent time counseling um other veterans. Um what role do you think uh, having a vet tell his or her story helps in the counseling process? Oh, I, I think that's, that's what was great about the Vet Center because that's what people are doing in counseling. They're telling their stories, and it's very important for them to, when they are dealing with the emotional trauma of war, the spiritual and emotional wounds, which is what I call PTSD, uh, to be able to begin to share that with someone else and realize that you're still accepted. And so it's easy for veterans to start by talking to fellow veterans. So the Vet Center concept was the counselors were not only counselors, but veterans. But I would encourage my clients to expand that. I would take them out to university classrooms and other settings to have them 
share their stories because I think the communalization of their sacrifice is very important for not only the community at large, but also for the veteran to help with their healing. Right. Great. Great. Um, yeah, you've mentioned that your your story goes beyond the military, um, and you touched on the French restaurant. Um, yeah, you know, any particular stories about that, or just it's the the well, the, the French restaurant was uh, restaurant business is amazing. I'm happy to say it was a critical and financial success, but it's still a very difficult business. But I guess if I do remember one. Uh, many, uh, uh, one particular funny vignette, uh, a regular client, of course, in a good restaurant, you have to have regular clientele. And this was a gentleman who brought business clients with him. And so I was waiting on his table personally. So to give him the deluxe service and he ordered a bottle of wine. And as I was opening the bottle of wine at the table, I pushed the cork down into the bottle by mistake and the wine came spurting out all over the man's shirt and tie. It had to be one of my most embarrassing moments in the in the restaurant business, but for the most part, uh, it was it was uh, challenging work. And I would say this about the restaurant business: uh, dishwashers don't quit; they just disappear. So, the, although you wind up doing every job in a restaurant when you're the owner, the one I did more than any other was dishwasher. <laughs> oh, that is um, yep, that is great. Yeah, and now you said you were a stay-at-home dad and. Your grandfather, and what kinds of stories did you tell your kids when they were growing up? Well, I would tell them some of these stories that I've been sharing here. And it, one of the reasons uh, a friend of mine told me to come down here and consider doing this because my daughter, uh, our oldest child, always wanted me to get these stories down for posterity, and I would never write them down. And so now I've, there's a, a record of these stories that she can, uh, you know, be able to keep for posterity. So uh, I'm happy to have done that. Uh, they, uh, I probably told them some of my stories when they were younger than my wife would have liked me to have told them those stories, but uh, I did anyhow. Um, some of the same stories you're telling your grandchildren now? or <laughs> they asked that, Well, they're uh, 11 and 8 right now, and my daughter has asked me to restrain from particularly some of the details of the story you'll hear later tonight. She thinks maybe they need to be a little older. But, I, but um, yeah. I do I do love I, – I actually go down to Beverly, Mass., where they're living a couple of days a week to pick them up from school and, and take care of them until my daughter gets home from work. Yeah. And, and it's a joy of my life. Yeah, and when we talked, um, you mentioned that you were working on a humanities grant. Do you have anything to report on that? Right. I'm not personally working on it, but, but I was contacted by the New Hampshire Humanities Council, and they were had filed for a grant – to uh, a project that was came out of uh, Dartmouth College, and the uh, the project is uh, is called a uh, Dialogues on the Experience of War: Facilitated Book Discussions for Veterans. And so, it's using works of of literature to help students who have come back from combat tours to process their emotional and challenges. And uh, the professor, who's the uh, humanities professor at Dartmouth College. Uh, I can't remember her name at the moment. I apologize. But uh, she's uh, used the Iliad and the Odyssey, which are incredible works to use for veterans. The Iliad focusing on the experiences of combat. And the Odyssey, of course, the journeys uh, and trials of Ulysses coming back home, taking 10 years. Although our veterans come home overnight on a jet plane, 
the psychological journey home is a very long journey home. And those books are wonderful metaphors for what all veterans experience. And so they were able to get this grant that was sponsored by the, uh, the National Endowment for the Humanities. And this coming fall, there's going to be in four locations around the state, these facilitated discussions with groups of 14 or 15 veterans at a time. And there'll be a three-person team made up of a literary expert uh, someone with a psychological background working with veterans and a veteran to facilitate those discussions. So they're very excited about having just gotten approval for that grant. I wrote a letter in support, one of hundreds of people I'm sure supported them. So I'm hoping that perhaps uh, down the road I might be involved in that further. Oh, that that is great. That is great. And, um, you know, as you're, you know, now you're, you're out of the military, are you still collecting stories as you go through go through life? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think all of us, uh, as your previous person had said, we're all telling stories all the time. And uh, most people just don't perhaps think of it that way. But that's, uh, I think it's important to be as transparent as we can. And that's what stories really help us do to show other sides of ourselves to people. And uh, I think that is, uh, there was a guy named Parker Palmer, a great uh, psychologist, humanist, and he wrote a book called The Courage to Teach, in which he talked about the importance of being transparent. Because if you don't take the risk to let people know you, then nobody can love you. So it's worth the risk. Great, great. And you've got a story tonight on our theme of dreams as well. Yeah. I do, indeed. It, and it's and dealing with your experiences in it, the military? It is dealing with the, the very last part of my military formal experience in the military. It's... Uh, as I say, somewhat of a misadventure, but I think you'll find it interesting. Yes, we'll be listening, even if your grandchildren aren't. Um, any last words, anything you'd like to, to say before we wrap it up? I just thank you for the opportunity to talk to you here, and I think this work that you're doing here at the community radio station and all the work that you do in the storytelling also is just wonderful. Glad to be a part of it. Great. Well, we appreciate your being here tonight, Al, and we look forward to hearing your story later on. Thank you so much.